My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I give them in a shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, before this episode gets started, I just want to let you know you can get the full catalog of episodes on the Patreon. Go over to patreon.com slash MFTIC. Uh, that's patreon.com. Get the link in the description. It's a lot easier to just do it that way. Click the link and sign up on Patreon today. Earth. Water. Air, fire. These basic elements make up our perceptual environment. Although seemingly simple, these four symbols are multi-layered and timeless. And in the right hands, these four symbols can decode the secrets of unlocking the Philosopher's Stone. Today, we introduce a new friend who's also engaged in this alchemical pursuit. Sky Mathis of the Philosophical Minds podcast joins me, Mystic Mark here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this conversation with Sky Mathis. You would have air and fire that are, they make up the sulfur aspect. And then you'd have air and water that make up the mercury aspect. Water and earth would make up the salt aspect. And it's kind of one of those like as within so without aspects of alchemical understanding because all things in reality can be broken down into the salt and the sulfur and mercury and it's just a language thing so it's confusing when we hear it like that salt sulfur and mercury but what that means is the soul which is the sulfur the spirit which is the mercury and the body which is the salt we're all familiar usually with that trinity of like that soul spirit and body and so alchemy is fascinating and so amazing and so awesome because it is something that you can do in your reality practically operatively and apply it to matter and then gain the understanding of these higher order principles by doing and demonstrating it and actually in your actual reality
All right. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And with me today for the first time is a really cool guest. His podcast is on Alt Media United. His podcast is titled Philosophical Minds, and he is Sky Mathis. Sky, welcome to the show, man. It's nice to have you here. As we said, nice to meet you. And, uh, you know, right off the bat, I'm going to ask you, does your family think you're crazy for the the mind that you have, which is philosophical? Well, first and foremost, it's an honor to be on your show, honor and a privilege. I want to say thank you for having me on here. And your show's definitely become a staple in my audio diet, I'd say. I'm someone I both, you know, I love listening to podcasts just as I, just as much as I love doing them. And yeah, I, I'm a huge fan as, as somewhat of a, a connoisseur of podcasts, I guess I would say I consume quite a bit and you're definitely one of my favorite hosts out there. Truly. I think that you're an audio artist, I'd say in the way that you present and structure your podcast with, you know, the music, the occasional poetic introductions, all stacked with great guests and awesome information. I think you've cultivated an excellent conversational capacity. So anyway, I'll just to Thank say, you. basically I'm a big fan and I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Right on. Thank you. So to answer your question, does my family think I'm crazy? I would say in a lot of ways, yes. But in the last few years, it's kind of interesting because actually they've become more aware as a lot of people have of like, you know, the cons- conspiratorial nature of different events playing out and different organizations involved and behind a lot of those events that maybe guys like me and you and a lot of the people that we're aware of are kind of already in tune with. But it's just becoming, I think, to the point where it's so obvious now that a lot of people are coming over to those things that were once considered crazy. But yeah, so I guess like my immediate family, at least I'd say our biggest differences and the craziness in regards to what they might think about me is more in regards to maybe my spirituality. So like in the spiritual sector of things, you know, they're, they're very rigid, I'd say, and their versions of their particular form of Christianity. For example, I myself, I'm more of, I'm more in alignment with, I guess I would call it like an esoteric Christian leaning kind of approach. And it's not really something that's easy for them to wrap their mind around, I guess. So they, they probably think I'm a little bit crazy in that regard, but they're well-intended and they're still extremely supportive of me in general in life. So I try and kind of honor them and focus on that and, you know, versus focusing too much on the fact that they think, that if I don't accept their version of Christianity, then I'm basically bound to eternal damnation. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of, I don't know. I think all of this stuff is fascinating and I keep my mind pretty open and flexible. And I try to, if I have the energy, maybe present a little bit of this information to my family. If it's something I feel is in the right timing and whatnot, but you know, I'm sure you know how that all is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So I guess now I should kind of ask you when, when did this all begin for you? I mean, you've been doing your show since 2019. You've been probably researching this stuff far longer than that. So how, how, how did this all 
start for you? When did your journey into, you know, the unconventional and the unknown start? Well, I would say it's probably been a while. I mean, I could remember being in high school and just being obsessively researching things like George Bush and Dick Cheney and different things going on with like the opium trade in Afghanistan and, you know, kind of going down rabbit holes on the internet and coming to my own conclusions on that stuff, researching like satellite surveillance technologies. And I don't know, I've kind of always just been interested in the, the world and the possibilities of what's going on, what's real, what's not, what constitutes reality. And uh, the podcast kind of, I guess it was inspired from a lot of different podcasts. I mean, obviously Joe Rogan is a huge inspiration for me. I've been listening to him for a lot of a long time now. Sam Tripley, obviously is a great influence on me. Shout out to him. You know, guys like Greg Carlwood over there at the higher side chats. I definitely draw a lot of inspiration from him as well. Duncan Trussell kind of just listening to a lot of different podcasts and just becoming so interested and kind of wanting to ask my own questions, I guess. And I I remember actually I was influenced at one point by something that Sam had said a while ago, I don't know, maybe like five or six years ago in his podcast. And he was getting into, he was getting some criticism and like feedback about people saying, why do you do your podcast? Or, or, I mean, why don't you do your podcast this way? Or why don't you have on this guy? And I can't believe you didn't ask this question or la, 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 la. So he was just talking about that. And he's like, dude, start your own podcast. Like if you're going to criticize my podcast and, you know, as him being someone that's, you know, doing what they're doing and having somebody come and criticize you and try to improve what you're doing when that's a person that's typically not even doing anything or contributing anything. And I think that kind of was hitting me in a certain way because I've often had those questions of like, Oh, I wish that he would have asked this, or I wish that he would interview this guest. And then I'm like, dude, I'll just, I'm, that's like my inspiration. Like I'm just going to start my own podcast. And it's typically it's not really my comfort zone, like public speaking in general, it has never really been something I felt comfortable with, but I knew that there's definitely a lot of value in at least challenging myself and trying to overcome those particular obstacles. And I knew that I was going to get a lot out of it going to be able to talk to the people that I wanted to talk to and ask the questions I wanted to ask. So I kind of, that was, I guess how it all started. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, definitely. As both of us were inspired by Sam, you know, I I took that same kind of impetus, like, you know, not every guest is going to be the right fit for Sam's show and and vice versa, you know, and it's kind of funny because you went more gung-ho than me in the sense that you were like, well, you know, I'm just going to start my own podcast. Me, I was insane enough to think that I could actually tell Sam who to interview. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I remember listening to to Sam show a bunch and thinking like, oh, if only he knew this or if only he talked to this guy. So I ended up, you know, buying a ticket to one of his shows in New York. And I've told this story before. If you've heard my podcast, you might have heard me talk about it. But I I gave him a copy of the Kabbalion, which is like the Mm -hmm. seven hermetic principles. 
And it was around the same time that others had kind of brought that up to him as well. So it was a good fit. And then, you know, one thing led to another. And Sam asked me to to help him find guests for his new podcast, Zero. And I kind of had that same instinct of like, well, if I'm going to be working for Sam, I should have my own podcast. You know, I can't just like live vicariously through his podcasts. And yeah, it's it's kind of cool that it all unfolded. You were ahead of the curve, though. I think you kind of like sensed something because you started your show in 2019, which was right before <laughs> the, you know, proverbial shit hit the fan. And uh, yeah, I mean, what was that like? Because me, I was I started in fall 2020. So we had already kind of experienced some of the pandemic. But, uh, you know, what was that like? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it was sort of a sense of things. And it was just something I was I was actually sitting on it for probably two or three years before I actually began to do it because I didn't want to do it in a crappy way. And I, you know, I'm aware, listen to different people talk about the statistics of, you know, people often when they start podcasts, they don't get past their eighth episode or whatever it is statistically. And I was like, I don't want to be that person. If I want to do it, I want to be consistent. And honestly, kudos to you in that regard, because you started later than me and you're, I mean, you're killing it. Like your, your consistency is insane and you're pumping out like content that's not only consistent, but it's also great on top of it. So like I, as a podcaster, I know how much work goes into all of that, especially when you're doing things yourself. And so I can recognize how much time and work that you put into Mm. your podcast and on top of it, you're booking all the stuff for Sam. So yeah, it's kind of blows my mind and I, you know, I'm, I'm someone that personally, I learn more in terms of listening versus if I'm like reading something, not to say that that's necessarily better because if like an EMP bomb hit or some shit like that, I wouldn't be as useful. So, you know, but I, I do wish I did have a better capacity at actually like reading information, but then my brain just kind of turns off and I fall asleep. So I love consuming and listening to audio and Mm. There's just a lot of, you know, subjects and topics out there that I want to exhume and explore and uh, go into more, not only for myself, but for others, because it's what I wish that I had. And that's kind of, you know, another motivation behind it. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I got to say, you know, I've been listening to your show for a little while now, and you're doing a great job yourself. I love the sound. I love the the caliber of guests you get on. You've had some really interesting conversations from this most recent episode, which I checked out. I don't remember the gentleman's name off the top of my head. Here it is, Timothy Hogan. And Mm -hmm. you were talking about some, well, Templars and this crosses paths with some stuff i've been researching and yeah i'm i'm curious when it comes to freemasonry templars you know this sort of more like i guess civilian aspect of secret societies you know they're a little more in reach anyone can kind of join them so to speak what are your thoughts on that? Are you yourself initiated? Would you in- get initiated or, you know, are you interested in that kind of stuff to like me to just kind of know without having to take any oaths? Like what, what's your stance on that? Well, okay. So this is something that's very near and dear to my heart, I guess I'd say. Yeah. With the whole, you know, secret society thing, which, you know, they're not all so secret, I guess esoteric orders is 
a word that I like to use in regards to a lot of these things, but the majority of them, I mean, I, I was interested in, in the good and the bad, just knowing what's going on, knowing what are they up to? Who are they having skepticism, especially like early on being really hesitant and skeptical with, you know, things like Freemasonry, just personally, because I didn't know much about it. It was super mysterious, like many of these things are. And so I basically made it my part of my podcasting mission, I guess, one of many to explore and dive into some of these things and try to find people who actually are initiates within these orders. And I've probably interviewed almost a person in almost every, at least familiar popular order that there is, you know, Rosicrucianism, Freemasonry, Templars, Golden Dawn Initiates, the AA, former, current people within different intelligence agencies, all of it. And I just, I'm curious and I want to know, are these, are this, is it good? Is it bad? Is it, what are they up to? Like, mm. and from what I've found is that it was actually pretty surprising. Most of them, from what I can tell, are pretty good systems of what I find to be sort of alchemical, spiritual purification practices, maybe things like Freemasonry from a lot of the Freemasons I talked to, one in particular that I I love his perspective on, Jamie Paul Lamb, he talks about it as speculative temple building and he kind of talks about it in regards to applying temple building in terms of like the internal and like building your internal temple. And it's actually a very like moral and ethical virtuous system of initiatic ritual, so to speak. So it's like you're going through these and I don't know, I'm not initiated into Freemasonry. I'm actually interested though. And I may eventually be, but from what my understanding is, is that it's, it's, it's a system that's bringing you into a more deeper understanding with these things like the, the virtues, there's things like building a memory temple, which are fascinating to me, which you could research with guys like Leonardo de, de Bruno or whatever. And I, I don't know, I find it like it's a very healthy thing. And I almost feel at this point, like it might be things like Freemasonry, maybe these other orders as well, they may be part of the cure in terms of like where we're at as a, as a society and some of the pitfalls and the places, the place that we find ourselves in, in terms of like we have, it seems almost as if we've lost a lot of our moral and ethical values. And we're really, a lot of people are getting just, to this place of almost adopting extreme materialist viewpoints on reality. And mm. I think that's to our detriment. And I think it's just due to a lot of it's due to a lot of a lack of understanding and lack of education around these sort of things. So yeah, with that being said, also I did, and I have joined the Templar Collegia, which that is the order that you may have heard Timothy Hogan talk about on that interview that we did, which is considered the outer order of the inner order, which is the temple of secret initiates. 
So I guess I can't speak to that part until I get there. But with the outer order, basically there's a curriculum or certain texts that are basically there as a preparatory measure to kind of get you in alignment with sort of the topics and subject matters that you're going into. And yeah, that's kind of, I guess my response to that question. I love it. Yeah. What a great place to start this conversation, man. I, I find myself sort of in a position, a dualistic position with secret societies because, you know, on the one hand, I've read books like The Secret History of the World by Mark Booth or The Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manly P. Hall. And these books describe the esoteric studies as like a lost key to our true spiritual understanding, overstanding, knowledge base, right? They they talk about how, you know, there's sort of a priest class that's maybe separated this structure of ideas from the masses and over time you know religion's kind of done this and and now we have secret societies that seemingly continue these practices right as you described and then on the other hand at the same time contemporary secret societies like the one i've been looking into at yale skull and bones which sort of can you can consider it like a mystery school in the sense that like all of these secret societies at Yale are like initiating the students into their adulthood like a rite of passage and a sort of like secret very you know rarefied and elite group of people but you know when you look at the track record and the alumni they're clearly the movers and shakers I mean from oil to the automobile to banking and everything in between, even the military industrial complex. And I, I wonder if, you know, as somebody who's clearly taken a lot of time to a speak to these folks and, and also learn as much as you can, like, you know, do you think that there's a sort of delineation or a hierarchy, maybe like opposing factions? Cause you know, we hear this term secret societies and you and I both know that's, a term that means a bunch of different groups, hundreds possibly. So like when, with that in mind, like, have you spoken to anybody on your show that kind of gave you a bad vibe and you're like, mm, all right, I wouldn't join this one. <laughs> well, I've spoken to some people that I wouldn't say that they've given me a bad vibe in terms of they had bad intentions, but maybe some individuals where they ended up, I wasn't, the best place. And actually that's more in regards to, I would say things in, in the alchemical realm, which are independent of particular orders like we're talking about. But I actually did want, that's something I, when I had reached out to you a while back, I did want to kind of talk to you about that because I do agree with you. And I think that things like skull and bones and some of these societies, maybe, I don't know, maybe you could relate it to like uh, groups I don't know, maybe they're not considered secret societies, but like the, you know, the Bilderberg group or the trilateral commission or council on foreign relations, or, you know, these sort of organizations seem like they're up to more negative power seeking. Mm, like political, more political sort of, in nature. 
Yeah. And from my, from my perspective, as far, so far, as far as the people I've talked to and my investigations, you know, things like the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which there are many actual lineages of people don't really consider that there's, there's not just one lineage. It's not all necessarily uniform, but things like, you know, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn or, or Freemasonry, which I guess Freemasonry would be another one. You know, there's like the Scottish, right? There's the Blue Lodge. There's, uh, there's different, there's differences from the United States to like Italian Freemasonry to it different. It's different around the world. I don't know how much exactly because I'm not an expert really in that regard, but yeah, as far as the ones that I have inquired into, they are not necessarily up to anything nefarious. They are more about refining and purifying the individual. And it's almost like a, a very advanced self-help community sort well, of thing, I guess. And that that's um, exactly, I mean, as you were describing the temple building, the inner temple that's exactly what Manly P. Hall sort of, I mean, I don't think he says it outright, maybe he does, but it's implied that, you know, when they're talking about a temple and building the perfect temple, whether it's a physical temple or a human temple, they say they, they're building it within the proportions of a man, right? And you could see that in some of these, you know, proper cathedrals and, and temples built with this in mind. So it stands to reason that there would be this sort of exoteric interpretation where people are like, oh, yeah, they're just talking about making a, the perfect building and this is the right way to do it. And, of course, it's going to reflect the creator, which is, you know, us and the creator above. Right. Where that's the whole point of the golden ratio and using these mathematics. But it definitely, you know. It definitely feels, I guess the part where the average, maybe like more conspiracy oriented person takes umbrage with it is like the exclusivity of it. And I guess maybe my question then to you is, do you think the exclusivity is about keeping certain people out or is it more about like finding the right people and having to kind of prove yourself like having that inlaid test in order to you know kind of prove demonstrate that you're worthy of of the knowledge that you'll receive after initiation i would definitely say the latter and i actually have had exact thoughts that you're speaking to in that regard and and you know there's like it's like why you wonder to yourself like why are they so secretive or why why are these groups not so open to everybody? And I feel like it's the conclusion that I've come to is that it's, you don't necessarily want just complete open borders with something like with a system that you want to keep pure in a way that is going to facilitate and instigate a particular change within somebody else and for you know like within some of these orders you can choose to be public and put yourself out there you know let it be known it's it's not like you're not allowed to do so there's many people that do but they do protect people that choose to be private and they they don't want to expose those people from my understanding because the society that we're in, I and mean, I know this 
you know, firsthand just from my life experience with kind of speaking to my like first statements when you're asking me about, does my family think I'm crazy? There's a very dominant, there's, there are very dominant quote unquote, I guess, egregores that are pervasive that, that frown upon or judge or maybe subconsciously would seek to attack and dismantle certain things of this nature because, you know, people are in masses and within a lot of religious sects are afraid of the unknown and, you know, they're afraid of the quote unquote occult. And I was myself and I, you know, but I had the, I guess, curiosity enough to know that maybe it's just something that I'm not aware of. And maybe I wonder if there's more to this thing and, and am I being fearful for what reasons? What am I basing it off of? Like when I think of people being hesitant and fearful of Freemasonry, for example, I think I brought this up. Actually, I did an interview with Juan, the one-on-one podcast recently and I was talking about like statistically the different groups, like, you know, maybe like police officers or different groups and organizations and societal roles that have w- way more of a proclivity to engage in harmful acts or abuse their power or do unethical and immoral behaviors. And then you compare that and you cross reference that with what you can find on people that are involved in things like Freemasonry. And honestly, it's pretty small. And I'm not saying that there are no examples of that because there are. And I have discussed those and I've covered things like, I think it was like the P2 Lodge in particular. And I think that was in uh, maybe Italy, somewhere in Europe. Yeah, it was in Italy. Yeah, you know. Okay. So, you know, there are definitely examples of, of individuals within some of these groups taking advantage or using these systems and these structures to their benefit for nefarious purposes. And my point was with that is that's going to happen in almost every organization because humans are humans, just like it happens in churches, you know, just like it happens in police departments, but we shouldn't dismantle police departments. We shouldn't dismantle churches. We shouldn't, prevent people from being able to seek and engage in the religious experiences that they wish to engage in so long as it's not harming anybody else. It's more about if there are negative and unethical and immoral behaviors or acts occurring within any institution, obviously, at least I'm aligned with the fact that we should be going after that and we should be fighting that. But in large on, you know, in large, it's it's not occurring so much within these things like Freemasonry or these orders. And I think that if people would be more less to judge and less to assume, less quick to assume things about what they think they might know based off of something they may have heard, then they would come to find that that's the case. I don't know if that answered your question, but... Yeah, well, you got us in the right place. I think you did answer the question. I think when it comes to these orders, these groups, you can't judge them all whole cloth as one 
thing, right? And and you make the great point that humans are gonna human. They're gonna do what humans have have done in time immemorial, or at least that's what we're told. I, I think part of what has always allure or drawn me into the subculture, the hidden culture of secret societies is that idea that, you know, we can make the world a better place. You know, maybe I'm just another you know, dreamer millennial who thinks that I can make a difference, but I'm with you. when it comes to these secret societies, that's kind of what it feels like is like the idea is that you sort of draw in people who may or may not have the necessary skills that when, you know, bolstered by this sound teaching that's been demonstrated for many centuries, it, it just, it feels to me like, you know, we have a sort of an equation for some really amazing things to occur. And then in the, the transverse of that, you know, you'd have possibly some people who see that format and think, okay, well, we could just do this, but for a very selfish purpose. And it may work just as well, right? Because we live in this free will universe. But uh, when it comes to the esoteric studies, in the same way that we have a kind of like the exoteric, esoteric builder allegory mentality, you know, of, of building the perfect temple, there's also the alchemy right the alchemy that most people if you you know did one of these on the street polls they would say something about lead to gold if they even knew what alchemy was and that's again this kind of exoteric exterior sort of interpretation of something that is a lot more profound you know it, it's incredible that you know it may be possible and i've spoken just this week george wiseman inventor of the aqua cure claimed he yeah. said you know that alchemy turning other you know base metals into gold is possible he he says that's possible and well, i think we should trust him because you know he's invented a couple things not just one thing but either way take that or leave it there's something deeper more profound behind alchemy that's it's behind this sort of allegory and it feels to me like this is the theme to your show in a way right of course you have this interest in secret societies and interviewing people who are initiated into certain orders you've spoken to a bunch of really brilliant authors as well guys like mark stavish and I, i'm you know curious when it comes to you know alchemy are you pursuing your own sort of personal let's say transmutation of lead to gold absolutely yeah so i think yeah for first to kind of speak to your initial comments when you were beginning speaking i have a, a friend which i actually just interviewed recently we did an episode on esoteric christianity he's a temple chief of the hermetic order of the golden dawn and and it's interesting because you'll find a lot of people will criticize and talk about, you know, fellas like Aleister Crowley, which I think totally valid. And they, they might think that there are not other people that think the ways that they do within these societies. And he's a primary example of that person. And he talks about how he doesn't really care for much for Aleister Crowley, yet he is a temple chief of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. 
And that kind of comes to the whole thing with different lineages. And it's not necessarily that just because you're in one of these orders, that does not mean that you adopt the attitudes, behaviors, or previous perspectives of anybody who was previous to you. But yeah, anyway, so he, he kind of talks about how a lot of people these days, the problem is that they're drawn to the occult for the wrong reasons. Like you were saying, like that maybe they want power or they want to control things and it's coming from a, a bad place. But at the same time, maybe those are the perfect people to be drawn towards these orders because if you know, you join one of these orders and go through it, maybe that will refine that lead into gold like we're talking about. And so it's kind of an interesting thing. And it's the subject of alchemy a hundred percent. That's one of the main themes of my podcast. And that's, that subject is so broad and so fascinating. And there's so many questions that I have since I've come across it, I've wanted answered and I've wanted to pierce into it and I could never find, or many of the things I wanted to know, it was so difficult to find. So I just started going and prying and finding the people. And I feel like now I've developed a pretty good network of people all over the world that are legitimate practicing alchemists, both within and without in terms of internal as well as external alchemy, because there is both. And I try not to focus on one more than the other. I try to include both because I think that that's, that is alchemical as above, so below as within, so without don't just be as above. Don't just be as below. Don't just be as within and don't just be as without be all of it. And that's like when it comes to reality and truth and discerning truth and finding out what's what, and you know, what is reality? Cause obviously everybody experiences it differently. And it, it seems like there's, Definitely universal laws, though, that govern it. And the alchemists are the ones that are in touch with that. They're in touch with learning and seeking to understand the laws of nature. And that's what I want to learn. And I think, like, what I've come to be super interested in, because I was early on, I don't know if it's through exploring alchemy or physics or what, but, you know, I kept coming up against, like, the ether of things and you know guys like tesla that you know or even einstein you talk about like the luminiferous ether and you'd find a lot of the smartest people they were always including the word ether or aether in terms of the things that they were talking about i was like what is the aether what is the ether what are the ethers because there are more than one ether and ended up finding some great resources and people and books that would help explain that and this is also it's, it's alchemy as well, but uh, it's like in terms of like what what is reality or how does reality work? Like from the people that I've talked to in my explorations into alchemy and talking with physics physicists and alchemists and different people in different orders, it comes down to like a lot of things like like nested ethers that build on each other and then in between those ethers there's like nested cycles of creation and then rest and there's like monvantaras the durations of times and then pralayas like these pauses of of time or creation and then there's like the yuga cycles that are like nested within those and there's like the kali yuga and potentially we're entering into the 
was it Sat Satya Yuga, something along those lines. But these ethers, coming back to those, it's so fascinating because this is like one thing that I feel is most occulted or has been most occulted and not a lot of people talk about or know how to talk about. And I myself, I'm no, I'm probably not going to do it nearly as much justice as I could, but I'll attempt to kind of poke at it. So we have like within the ethers, the four primary ethers, there's, there's the warmth ether, the light ether, the sound ether, and the life ether. And these are pretty much synonymous with the Hindu tattvas. They're like the building blocks of the universe, so to speak. And like the word or the word of God is like life made manifest by the evolution of the preceding ethers. And the substance in which these are formed is what we would call like the Akasha, the Akashic mother. And they're kind of like the energetic background formative forces that have a conjugate relationship with the four elements of fire, air, water, and earth in the alchemical sense. And there's, there's also like a sort of greater dipole or conjugate of like fixity and volatility within all of it. And this might be confusing, but I'll try to like explain. So if you take the coupling of like the ether of warmth with the element of fire, it's like a coupling. And then you also the coupling of air with the element of light. Those all together sort of reflect the volatile aspects of nature alchemically they'd be like correlative with what's called the celestial niter and the forces of like levity and their nature is more electric. And then we have like the fixed aspects or the celestial salt would, that would be more like the gravitational forces and the magnetic nature of things corresponding with the elements and ethers which we'd have like the coupling of sound and water and life and earth. And I don't know, maybe you've heard of like the alchemical principles of salt, sulfur, and mercury. So there's a bunch of diagrams online that show like the relations of the different elements with the three principles and how it, how they kind of like go into each other and make how the elements make up the principles. So like, I don't know if, Congelation is the right word, but you would have air and fire that are, they make up the sulfur aspect. And then you'd have air and water that make up the mercury aspect. Water and earth would make up the salt aspect. And it's kind of one of those like as within, so without aspects of alchemical understanding because all things in reality can be broken down into the salt and the sulfur and mercury. And it's just a language thing. So it's confusing when we hear it like that salt, sulfur and mercury. But what that means is the soul, which is the sulfur, the spirit, which is the mercury, and the body, which is the salt. So, you know, we're all familiar usually with that trinity of like that soul, spirit and body. And so alchemy is fascinating and so amazing and so awesome because it is something that you can do in your reality practically operatively and apply it to matter and then gain the understanding of 
these higher order principles by doing and demonstrating it in actually in your actual reality. So like in the plant kingdom, like the soul being the essence or the essential oils within a plant. And then, so you'd get that out and then you could ferment the plant and then eventually it'll break down into an alcohol or a spirit and you can get that out. And then what you have left is the residual plant matter or the body of the plant. And then you calcine that and burn it. You put it through the fire, reduce it to a pure white ash with very high temperatures You dissolve it in distilled water and evaporate it with either distilled water or hydrosol. And you end up with a pure crystal body and the recombination of all these things is what's called a spachyric. And that's like an alchemical preparation. That's a medicine. And you can, you can do this with the, the plant kingdom, with the animal kingdom, with the mineral kingdom, with rocks, their rocks and minerals, crystals. It's a little different because there's processes of like pyrol or what is it? Catalytic conversion reactions they have to do. But yeah, I mean, everything reduces down to these three principles and that's kind of just an explanation that can give people a little bit of insight into why things like alchem alchemy and alchemical understandings are so valuable. And they're also a metaphor for life because all of these things can be applied to the human being. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well said, man. Thank you. And there's so many parallels, you know, from the Trinity of Christianity to the, the doshas of, of, I think it's Ayurvedic medicine. Is it? think they're all called doshas unless that's just one of them but but and then i'm sure chinese and has its parallels as well but yeah it's fascinating you know your point about being able to re-examine the world around you from this point of view and from a certain perspective that's magical you know and, and i think people today Unfortunately, they're drawn to like this realist nihilism that you were describing before. And if secret societies are the solution to that, I'm with you, man. I think that's a, a really incredible thing. You know, you mentioned before you know, this sort of esoteric Christian perspective that you hold. And, you know, people often think, well, you know, esotericism, the occult, those are not on the same side as Christianity where, you know, there may be some esoteric Christian books that, you know, I, I don't know where you stand on them because sometimes they can be controversial, but it seems like we've been given even with Christianity, this sort of materialistic nihilistic, maybe it's not so nihilistic as it is sort of authoritarian and, you know, I think it's definitely, it's something that people take for granted, you know, when they go, I was raised in a Catholic church. So when I'm sitting in, you know, the pews, we're seeing them hold an incense and wave that around and do this whole ritual. And as a kid, you're just like, what's going on? I don't understand. It's in Latin. Maybe that's on purpose so that you don't understand. But with this alchemical perspective, you might imagine that that incense is a part of what that would be like the sulfur, right? Or, or would that be 
because there's the holy oil that they sprinkle. So that would be the the oil mm-hmm. part of it, which I think you said was the sulfur. So I'm getting mm-hmm. him com- confused. But one of them, is, the incense must represent one of those as well. And I'm sure the the wine or the water or whatever has its place as well. But yeah, it, that might not ring any bells. I don't know how many Catholics are out there in Arizona, but maybe. Definitely. Yeah, I would I would regard that more along the lines of with the soul as it's the soul is being uh, emitted and that's the aroma that you're intaking mm. or in, intaking right. and inhaling the essence of that thing. Right. And there's also, you know, you, get, you talk to guys, you may have heard of like Phoenix Aurelius. He's an alchemist. I think that Sam's interviewed him yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. He, he talks about like the fixed and volatile aspects of the soul. Mm. So you can kind of like break it down further and then how that relates to material realm of things when you're doing operative lab work and how that translates into the, your human life and like the, the characteristics of your being and what colors your personality. And I'll talk about like the tincture of a, of a plant and like the tincture or the color of your personality. And these are like corresponding sort of ways of communicating the same principles. Mm. But uh, see now that I feel like you're sort of answering my next question, which is, you know, it can't be one size fits all, right? That's sort of the purpose of, of understanding the different, you know, qualities of different plants and maybe, you know, a certain solution or spagyric potion is right for you at a certain moment depending on what's going on you know alchemically within you right it's not just sort of a a one size fits all kind of process yeah and like you talk to some guys and they're just so they go so deep into the different possibilities within how to attune a particular preparation towards an individual's particular needs and it could be both a physical thing as well as a conscious thing because, you know, with the alchemical understanding, it's like the as within. So without principle, something that's troublesome internally may potentially manifest externally and something that has manifested externally may be a product of something that is repressed or, or suppressed internally. And so there's all kinds of philosophy behind why and how all of this works and what medicinal preparations are conducive towards treating particular ailments mentally and physically within regards to all that. And there's, you know, so many interesting individuals that can go way deeper into all that than myself. Well, but And I was going to ask you that because, you know, we're just podcasters. We're, you know, we're not writing books about alchemy or anything like that. Maybe you are. You haven't mentioned that. But we both interviewed Brian Cote Noir, who's oh, okay, written a yeah. book called Practical Alchemy. And mm-hmm. yeah, I guess aside from him, are there anyone else that you've interviewed that you would recommend for people whose you know, curiosity has been piqued? Anybody who you consider sort of like the go-to for, for this subject? Oh man, I could go all day on that. Let's see. <laughs> Maybe good starters for people, not like the deep, deep end of the pool. Maybe the low end of the pool. <laughs> well, some of my favorite that kind of cross the bridge between the... Being a good communicator, I would say Daniel Wiseman is 
fantastic. He's a guy out of Nova Scotia. His apothecary is called Secret Fire Apothecary. And he's just a super amazing communicator. And he has a way of being able to explain a lot of these things that's understandable for, you know, guys that may be not familiar. Mm-hmm. And okay, so I'd say him. Phoenix is awesome. He can go deep. He can go shallow. He can go all over. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, we, we've we established he's deep end. I, I've heard enough from him. Yeah. I love him. I think he's a great guest. I haven't had him on this show yet. I, I should, though, actually. Yeah, you should, for fact, sure. Especially any, of the, any people I have, I'd love to, and I'd be happy to put you in contact oh, with likewise, anybody. Oh, likewise. Likewise. Yeah. There's a great dude. His language style is a little less comprehensive, I'd say, but I love him. He's one of the best. His name is Roger Lambert. He's super advanced. He's on the ball. You got, of course, I'm sure that you've heard. Why am I drawing a blank right now? One of Daniel, one of Daniel's teachers, actually. One of a, a lot of people have learned from him. Robert Allen Bartlett. I think he wrote the book Real Alchemy. He's awesome. He can definitely go over the basics of things with with people and he delivers it in a pretty comprehensive way or if you want to get crazy you want to talk to somebody about animal alchemy okay um, yeah i love that uh, israel ruiz is his name or he goes by raven he gets wild talking to him i always compare it to like almost being on a psychedelic because he's just out there in the best way possible. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, and, and another person who maybe this wouldn't be considered alchemy, but I think I mentioned him already, Mark Stavish. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the term egregore, but you used it in a in an interesting way. And I want to ask you about that. You said that, you know, certain people, they may, you know, get drawn to like the, the egregore of judgment or the egregore of shame. And I imagine, you know, maybe the egregore of fear or anger, right? Like, are are we talking about like emotions that get charged to a point where they sort of Mm. attach to like ideas? Cause I'm familiar with what an egregore is, but explain. I I would say that the emotional aspects are, aspects of an egregore i wouldn't necessarily say that they themselves are the egregore like i wouldn't say fear fear is an egregore or love is an egregore or okay i wouldn't say that but i would say there are egregores that perpetuate fear or there are egregores that perpetuate love in terms of an egregore i would think it's almost i mean i guess technically from my understanding, an egregore is just a thought form that's shared by multiple individuals. And it's almost like you're creating or something is created that is like a tan, not tangible necessarily in terms of like a physical tangibility, but a psychic tangibility, like a maybe imagine it as like a psychic cloud of potency. And some, some egregores can be more potent than others. And like when I talked to Mark, he would even say like, the the sort of egregore of being affected by a football team if you're somebody who's into football or you're somebody who's into sports and you're you, there's this there's this massive psychic field of energy of thought energy that goes into maybe the people that you're around that are rooting for this team and they're getting super charged up there's there's this a potent egregore that's like a 
it's like a it's like a, a psychic field almost that is influential. Could it and be like a, around shared. a Could it be like around a band even like you know totally. like a sports Absolutely. team a band something like even a podcast might have podcast, a, an echo a logo, an uh, a sigil a logo right um, wow an item it's something that's shared though, primarily the, the main aspect of an egregore is that it's something that's from my understanding, it's shared by multiple individuals. So it's like a, it's not, it's not an individual thought form. It's a shared thought form right. and there's good egregores and there's bad egregores and there's potent egregores and there are weak egregores and you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of my understanding. Yeah. Well, and I think like, you know, Obvious ones would probably be like Christ, Buddha, Muhammad, mm. you know, Moses oh, I, or Abraham, you know. Yeah, I wanted to actually, because something you said earlier, I wanted, I forgot I was going to mention, because you mentioned the, I think you mentioned the esoteric Christianity thing. Mm. And I think this is something that's developed for me over time in terms of my understanding of it and I think another great person on this, you may have interviewed him, Ian Ferguson. Also, he's a member of the Templar, Templar Collegia as well. We had a great conversation about similar things in regards to which maybe we differ a little bit on a couple aspects, but I think that when I think about esoteric Christianity, and this is, I'm sure it's a way deeper subject for more people, for other people than maybe I'm going to display it or put it out there as, so I don't want to be like saying that I'm representing the full totality of what it is or anything like that. <laughs> but uh, I did an episode with this guy, Ike Baker. He's great about that, but uh, it's kind of like the idea of you don't, you're not so much the important aspects of Christianity are not so much the factual or historical accuracy of things. It's more about the message and the importance of what's intended to be conveyed by the texts and the archetypal transmission that is intended to be conveyed by the text, like the meaning, the actual meaning versus because people debate and they argue all day about was Jesus a real person? Was he not? Was he real? Was he fake? And it's like, I'm at the point where I don't care whether he was or wasn't. I think he may have been, maybe he, Totally could have been real. It totally could have been a made-up story. That's not what's the important message behind the story, in my opinion. And that, I think, is like a form of... Maybe that's a form of esoteric Christianity. Maybe, I mean, there's probably a lot deeper perspectives on that when you look at the different parables of the Bible and what they can convey. That's probably a whole other important esoteric aspect of these texts is the messages behind the parables and what's intended to be communicated in terms of archetypal transmissions for those who have ears to see and eyes to hear. And the, I don't know where I was going exactly with that, but the, the whole idea of like getting super hung up on the historicity of things is almost getting to the point where it's just so silly to me. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think that that is whether whether Jesus, the figure, did exist or didn't exist, I don't think that's important. And then when I talk to guys like Ian Ferguson, I love that he emphasizes the middle, like the middle way of things or the the Christ 
path of the Christ principle of things, or maybe some would say the Christ consciousness. And to me, it seems like that's all about, you're not being so far over in the materialistic realm of things. And you're not being so far over in the complete spiritual realm of things where you're ignoring the physicality of where you're at and the physical manifestation of where you're at, but you're trying to balance and harmonize with both and you're, you're finding yourself in the place that you are. And it's like, it's to me that that's what represents the way or the middle path or the Christ consciousness. It's like with anything, you could apply it to politics. You could apply it to things that you're making about life. You can apply it to anything. It's like, don't go to one extreme or the other. Give yourself a balanced perspective and a balanced look at things like oh i think that this was something i brought up on a podcast that hasn't been released yet with ike baker on his podcast but we were getting into in terms of like things like right now there's this whole kind of back and forth debate about like feminism or masculinity and all of this and they're like polarities and there's a lot of women out there men too that feel like there's been a patriarchy that has been dominant for so much time and they want to go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum and they want it to be only women can lead men can't lead only women can lead that's what it should be and it's like no now you're going to the way to the other extreme like don't go from one extreme to the other and overcorrect. like the goal is to like nor women nor men both like the point is that both are valid and both should be recognized and appreciated for what they are. And that to me, like that whole understanding is like the Christ or Christian, in my opinion, that's like what it means to align with the Christ principle. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you on, on the point of polarity. It's, you know, not about, sort of getting retribution by swinging to the next polarity, you got to find balance, right? I think that's the, the middle path and the, the, that's the Tao, you know? And, and in alchemy, like Daniel Wiseman would say, he would say, this is where you're volatilizing the fixed and fixing the volatile. Mm. So it's like, you know, the goal is this harmonious balance of both. And, that's what you want to take in because that's where the medicine's at, you know? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well said. And I really appreciate you taking us through your knowledge base and, and, you know, alchemy is clearly something that's important to you. And I feel like it's something that I, I definitely haven't put as much, let's say, practice into like normal let's say by the books alchemy but when i was a martial artist i felt like there was a sort of psychosomatic connection that was being forged and you know this is between the ages of like 14 and, and 24 you know this is primarily when i was doing martial arts and you know, anything you do at that age is going to stick with you for a while if, especially if it's something you know constructive and there's a sort of physical alchemy that takes place with the forging that connection between mind and body. It doesn't have to just be martial arts. It could be really any sport that, you know, pushes you to that. But, but yeah, I, I wonder 
when it comes to, you know, alchemy, where do you apply it in your own life aside from, you know, through this excellent podcast of yours and, and through, you know, the conversations you take place in? Yeah. Well, I would first and foremost just say that, yeah, I totally think that that is a form of alchemy as many things are that people may not even recognize day to day. And I think the goal or the great thing about alchemy is to realize the things that, how you can apply alchemy to everything in life because there are alchemies and it's like the, the art of alchemy is the art of the processes of creativity and creation and, and carrying out development, developmental processes of life. And you can apply it to your life. You can apply it to matter. You can apply it to a skill. And so I'd say like for myself, my day to day job, I, I run and operate a CNC machine. That's my day job. I'm a, I'm a CNC operator. That's one of the things that I do. And I think about it all the time when I'm doing it because it's like, I'm, you know, I have this, this machine that I need to calibrate and I have to keep these bits at a certain depth so that they are very precise in the way that they cut at a certain depth so they don't go too deep so that they don't go too high. I've got to change out the bits when they are, starting to chip the material. So it's like all about, I'm trying to facilitate this process of my craft. And this, this could apply to any craft, whether you're a woodworker, whether you're an electrician, whether you're a plumber, whatever it is, your craft. And I think this is also maybe reflected in things like Freemasonry that we spoke about earlier, but it's about trying to do what you do and do it well and refine it and purify it and, and get it to an exalted state of, you could say perfection. And when you say perfection, it's like, oh my gosh, whoa, you're holding me to this high standard, but that's like something to aspire towards. It's not necessarily that you're like having to do that, but it's like the aspiration towards perfection or the aspiration towards the greatest good that you can do. It's like being the best that you can be and understanding the processes of how to get there and understanding how to refine and how to distill your knowledge and purify what, what you have at hand and create the best possible outcome that's going to produce the best possible results. So, yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel that. I mean, martial arts, you can possibly interpret that as a craft, but yeah, I, you know, maybe podcasting is my craft. I, I'm totally. pretty good with my hands, so I don't know. I, I probably need to pick up another skill some point in my, as I get older here. But uh, wow, man, I really love this alchemy conversation. I do want to pivot back to Templars, though, because, you know, this is an, a fascinating group. I know, you know, mm-hmm. as far as you know, secret societies today go, not only are there like modern groups that identify as Templars through name, but I think some Freemasonic organizations trace their lineage back to the Templars or at least give like some sort of kind of like historical credit to the Templars. And, you know, I'm wondering you know, for you, how far do you venture into like, you know, the historical Templars and, you know, 
as far as that's concerned, I mean, for you, because there's a lot, I mean, from Oak <laughs> Island to the Ark of the Covenant, I mean, yes, it, is everything that's said about the Templars true, or do you think it's just sort of like the byproduct of, of you know, what happens when, you know, secret societies form and people generate rumors about them? Well, I have not yet concluded my thoughts on that, and I am in as much investigation as you probably are within all that. And I totally like, it's fascinating to me because I've listened, I've read so many different accounts from so many different individuals on their perspectives. And the, I, I think I had listened to one of the episodes that you recently did with the guy that was talking about some Templar stuff as well. And then, you know, I've interviewed the people that I've interviewed and I've talked to the people that I've talked to and you do find these kind of like incongruencies potentially, and it makes you wonder about things. So I haven't necessarily drawn any conclusions and, but I have, you know, in terms of like my conversations with Tim Hogan in particular, I've listened to what he said and what he said is compelling and it is possible and plausible. So I do entertain it as a possibility. I obviously don't know. I can't say that I know things because I, I wasn't there to experience things, but from his perspective in terms of the lineage that he comes from, well, according to him, he comes from multiple lineages and there are multiple lineages of Templarism. And like you had mentioned within Freemasonry, I think there is a, a branch of, I don't know if it's a degree or how that it necessarily works, but there is like a Templar degree or something along those lines not really quite sure what that means exactly, but uh, there is some connection there. And then there are various lineages of Templar organizations from what I understand. And some of them are in congruency with each other and maybe some aren't. I've also had friends that have told me that people have come to them that claimed to have been Templars and tried to initiate them that maybe weren't even necessarily related to anything real so it's like maybe there's groups or societies or something out there posing and portraying themselves as Templars that is totally separate potentially. But yeah, like when I talked to Tim, I think he was speaking to the notion that he had been initiated into a variety of different lineages that, and then he gave like the background context going historically, if you want to speak historically, that basically lines all the way back to the founding nine individuals. I think it was nine that were like these Cathar Albigensians that called themselves the Perfecti. And they were initiated by, I think it was like Theocles and another name, which were, they were initiating and they helped form this group, but they were like, in some other, maybe it was the temple of secret initiates or something along those lines. But anyway, I don't, I'm, it's hard for me to try to explain all this history because I'm not as well versed, but from what I've, what's been conveyed to me, it seems fairly compelling that the roots of Freemasonry or Zacrucianism, a lot of the orders and societies that we know stem from and originate out of early Templar orders or initiates that had formed other orders. And 
like I said, it's, it's a little bit difficult for me to recall the information and give it to you in a really concise format, but it seems like I feel comfortable saying that that's definitely a plausibility, not saying that's a certainty. And I don't know that, but there's enough evidence or whatnot for me to feel at least a little bit comfortable and compelled by it, I'd say. Mm. Yeah. From what I've heard and, you might have been referring to Dr. Joseph Farrell. I, I believe we spent a good deal of time talking about the Templars, but I have talked about it with other people. And uh, this this idea that we're building the temple, right? We kind of opened with that idea, mm-hmm. one of many. And uh, when I hear that name Templar, it definitely brings to mind the word temple, but it also brings to mind the word template, And I've thought about this because there's this sort of notion that, you know, the Templars were part of founding what we think of as the new world, right? Or maybe they were here prior and and helped send some information back to the quote-unquote old world about the quote-unquote new world, right? And that's sort of what the whole Oak Island situation is predicated on, as well as the Newport tower in Rhode Island, which isn't too far from where I'm sitting right now, but I definitely think there's no better candidate for a template built than Phoenix, Arizona. And I, I'm not sure if you're near Phoenix. I know you're in Arizona, but I've had a guy on the show named Corey Daniels who basically describes how Phoenix, he's got a website called the Phoenix Enigma and a podcast too. He, he describes how Phoenix was sort of built as a, a Freemasonic ritual and, uh, you know, n- not necessarily Templars, but still along those same lines of recreating, you know, a great civilization from the ashes of an old one, right? That was a kind of a thought with Phoenix is that a very ancient group of people once lived there they even claim that there are canals that were you know sort of filled in or re repurposed and uh yeah it definitely seems like arizona could be one of these special places that the freemasons saw and were like okay we got to build here as an arizona someone who's currently in arizona i'm guessing you know what what are your thoughts on that? i don't know maybe you're from a different state because you did say before that you're only you know staying at a relative's house but 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 yeah are you are you in arizona is that where you're from yep yes born and raised and yeah i am still currently in arizona pretty close to phoenix i think i'd be considered phoenix but yeah that's really interesting and i actually i think i have listened to a few different recordings with Corey Daniels. I actually think I reached out to him one time, but didn't hear back from him, but he does have some fascinating stuff that he goes into. And yeah, it's interesting. Like when you talk about like a template, a Freemasonic template, because when I look at Phoenix, I mean, it honestly, to me, it, when I look at the layout, it's kind of boring compared to like a lot of the other cool spots out there. I mean, you look at something like Washington DC and like all the geometry with that so much more like so much more to it. Mm. Uh, So I think like it, to me, it seems like there's a lot more thought put into it, but maybe, you know, this isn't something I'm super researched in anyway, which I should be because I live here, but I would like to investigate and learn more about that 
because I think that is fascinating and interesting and, you know, just the name in general, Phoenix rising from the ashes and all that. I think that's really cool. So maybe, maybe potentially that'll evolve into something, but it's not something I'm super like well-versed or aware of (laughs) at this point. Yeah, no worries. I thought I'd bring that up. I, I do bring it up quite often, especially since Tara and I started this show, Esoteric America, which if you do end up doing that work and investigating, we'd love to have you on to talk about Arizona, Phoenix in particular, or wherever you are. I mean, Arizona's a big place. You might not I'll be have to that gather close. some more intel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, please do, man. I, I think that's one of the more fascinating aspects of all this is where you see the stuff that we're talking about now, like alchemy sort of encoded into buildings and cityscapes and who knows, maybe there's like a symbolic or maybe subtle purpose to these grids. Cause I haven't been to Arizona, but I have been out West and like, uh, for example, Indianapolis is kind of grid like, Denver's kind of grid-like, so I've been in cities like that, and compared to New England, which was built for, like, footpaths and wagon trails, like, you know, it's definitely a lot more interesting out here if you want to drive on, you know, wild roads. Well, when you talk about, like, the purpose of grids and stuff like that, what comes to mind for me is, like, ley lines and Mm. all that stuff, and that, I don't know what it is. It just gets me excited, and I love learning or trying to acquire any information about that. And I think that you've had a couple of really cool guests on about that stuff. And I've had a couple as well, but they're more actually the guy I'd mentioned before, Roger Lambert, he's an alchemist, but he's also a geobiologist, but he's primarily focused on, he's in, I think he's in Italy or, or France actually. So not necessarily too much in the Americas or anything, but I mean, he's just blew my mind about, the things that he's talked to me about with uh, in terms of like a lot of the ancient cathedrals and a lot of the ancient churches and their choice of placement and where they chose to build particular structures, particular sacred structures on particular quote unquote ley line crossing points. And there's a lot to it. Like he would talk about different grids that were all like, there was like four different grids that he was talking to me about that are related to different ore. Like there's like a grid, like an ore of gold grid that's related to a particular doctor. And the, a lot of them are the names of doctor. There's like the Hartman grid and the something grid, like whatever. And so there's those, there's these grids of like ore or whatever. And then beyond that, there's underground rivers and the crop and and there's a particular something with geobiological locations and underground rivers. And like in terms of where you sleep at night, you don't want to be sleeping on a above a underground Creek or something like that. It could be detrimental. There could be a potentially like spiritual entities or things arising, things like that. But I think what he was saying was that there's a way to transmute that and that some of these churches would build particular structures that would transmute that energy. And then they would build, maybe it was called the nave, the nave of the church of the cathedral on top of that. And then the person, and then the spot of the altar, it would facilitate a particular energy and 
he was going into things like there's a lot of different cathedrals. Some of them would be like St. Peter's or whatever, but a bunch of them would be named that throughout the, the land or whatever the areas. And those would all have some kind of significant con- connection and all the St. Peter's, they would have like some kind of uh, energetic grid line connection or correspondence. And then maybe there was like a different saint that would be allocated towards different churches. And maybe those would have like a different kind of communication or connection of some kind in old times. And then I talked to this former Jesuit dude named Douglas Gabriel. who's super fascinating. He's somebody that goes deep into the ethers. He goes pretty much answer any question you have in some way, shape or form about anything. And he was telling me that the crowns, because we were talking about crystals and crystal science and crystal energies and all of that. And he was telling me that the crowns that the, the priests or the royals had, they would have the, the particular, maybe it was gold or copper or whatever the material was. And then the arrangement of crystals around the crown would facilitate a particular energy that would put your brain wa- your brain waves into a, did you say theta or gamma, a particular state that would facilitate like a hyper learning state or something along those lines. And I don't know if this was connected or if I drew this connection, but I'd somehow got the impression that these different priests were communicating sort of psychically, if you would, maybe not because maybe it's a form of technology with these crowns that they had from point to point, from energetic uh, point to point within these churches or these cathedrals due to their position and location and the crowns that they had that were helping facilitate their brains and their brainwave states of being able to be connected somehow. And I don't know if that's still a possibility or if it's not due to different like frequencies now that are in our or that are about like with Wi-Fi or 5G or whatever, but something that's super fascinating and interesting to me. So I don't know, just kind of ranting at this point, but when you brought that up, it got me excited. Yeah, no, that is fascinating. And I kind of got lost in thought thinking about multiple things you said, And I wonder, you know, when it comes to, you know, the position of these underground streams, if maybe uh, springs in particular, like, for example, we just went to a local spring and got our water there, you know, it was a great place, you know, felt really awesome to find it you know and be like oh great we can get this really clean water it's you know free (laughs) just come and fill up our jugs you know but i wonder if there is a way to build something near that structure to purify that in some way you know like uh, i think i've had a couple of different people on the shows kind of talked about those subjects but geez you've mentioned so many amazing guests and and fantastic people to to look into i mean if i were listening to this show i would go right over to philosophical minds you could find it on any app that you listen to this podcast on and and check out some of the 
the conversations you've had because you're you're really only you know brushing the surface there and i appreciate you taking us on this sort of venture here any final thoughts before we wrap up i know it's getting kind of late i might fall a little bit asleep no 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 my my contact lens is like falling Uh, out (laughs) it's like gonna (laughs) fall out of my eye i'm like oh my gosh i've had it on all day but but sky this has been really awesome and i want to invite you back on the show soon and continue this conversation but yeah but until next time tell the folks you know where they can find you of course philosophical minds you have a patreon where they can support you and, and any final thoughts before we wrap up yeah, well, I'd just like to say again, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. Yep, the Patreon at Philosophical Minds Podcast. Check me out on Instagram, YouTube, whatever. And appreciate anything and everyone, whether it's a review, maybe it's a nice comment on maybe an episode or nothing at all, just listening. It's always appreciated. And I guess last thoughts, maybe just be nice, try to... Be nice to each other, be compassionate, try to do what you can, when you can. And especially during these times right now, we should all kind of do a little bit more and be there for each other, not promote the divisive narratives that are being kind of pushed and perpetuated upon us. I think that's part of the solution to the problem. So I love you all who are listening and appreciate it and love your podcast, Mark, and everything that you're doing. Much appreciated. Thank you. Likewise, likewise. And everybody tuning in, please go over to the Philosophical Minds podcast, subscribe, and immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Of course, go and support our friend Sky on wherever you're listening, whether it's YouTube, whether it's uh, Rockfin. I don't know if he has a Rockfin yet, but all the podcast apps you can find the Philosophical Minds podcast. And of course, he is a part of Alt Media United. Go to altmediaunited.com and check out all the podcasts that we cooperate with in the cooperative And all that really means is that we support each other so that we can all continue to independently produce these podcasts because, you know, podcast networks, they, uh, they just take a a cut of your money and publish your stuff for you. We don't do that kind of stuff. We're all about supporting or about community. So if you have a podcast and you listen to this show, hit me up. You can be a part of Alt Media United and, uh, I just want to give a big shout out to all of our new patrons who signed up thank you so much to sultan joe mama and ernie i think i might have already given joe mama and ernie a shout out ernie and i recorded two uh, podcasts together i think i'm going to put them both together and release them on this feed at some point in time Uh, but it's sort of like an episode of esoteric america really more more than anything else, we talked about uh, Colonial Williamsburg so, and, and the College of William and Mary. So shout out to Ernie. And uh, yeah, thank you for supporting this show. Whether you're supporting on Substack, Rockfin, or Patreon, of course, 
The link is in the description. If you aren't already, what are you waiting for? Sign up now. You get access to an exclusive Telegram chat for supporters only. And of course, you can access the full catalog every episode. And Substack has some exclusive writing, which I promise I will be writing more there throughout uh, the summer. I don't know if ever anyone tuned into uh, Sophia Smallstorm's interview on Tinfoil Hat recently, but she had some uh, things to say about Substack. I don't know. After what she said, maybe we shouldn't be using Substack. I don't know. Uh, everything else she said sounded uh, pretty above board and sound made sense, but that definitely made me question whether I jumped onto the Substack boat. A little too soon don't let that alarm anybody uh, do your own research and if you find anything that backs up what Sophia was talking about then uh, get get it over to me I'd love to see so anyways thank you folks for being there and uh, I also want to give a shout out to our support from the number one hit kit shout out to the hit kit I think I forgot to give them a shout out in a episode recently so I'll spend a little bit more time talking about them today. The Dank Bank, if you are a stoner like me, is the perfect way to keep your bud stashed away safe. Not only is it cool and convenient, it's not heavy, it's made out of light wood, uh, you can get a custom design on it, and it locks up using a lighter as the key. The lighter goes, fits nicely on the Dank Bank itself, and, you know, at the very least, it's childproof, right? If you want to be super secure, you can probably take the lighter out and keep it in your pocket. But uh, at least it's child safe. And, uh, yeah, I think Dank Bank is a cool way to keep your stash. It pops open. It's got everything in there. And uh, not just that. The Hit Kit has the Swiss Kit, the Dube Tubes. I mean, there's so many different varieties of Hit Kit. And you can get a custom design Make sure you use that promo code get 20% off. I wonder how many people use the uh, 25% off 420 deal. Uh, shout out to everyone who did. I'm going to have to go and ask our friend there if we got anybody. But I will say there are a bunch of people that listen to the outro because last outro I said, hey, use the secret word Vulcan and I'll send you a sticker and about 10 or more people hit me up with the secret code. So I got a bunch of stickers to mail out. I'm going to do that tomorrow. So if you did that, uh, you know, uh, sorry, you're too late. If you haven't already messaged me uh, by the time this episode airs, uh, that'll be the uh, cutoff. So, yeah, thank you for listening to the entire show. I really appreciate it. And as a reward, there you go. You got a sticker. If you heard me say that and uh, you didn't send me the secret passcode, well, uh, tune in. Maybe I'll do that again on Wednesday's episode. We're going to have another fantastic guest, uh, some really great guests returning to the show, some new guests as well. So stay tuned for that. And until next time, folks, immerse yourself in the moment, wherever you are in the now. Peace. Cells out of service can't reach me on the circuit. Uh, I'm 
it's for certain But I feel it like a purpose Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain Hardly feeling like a person But the vibes are perfect uh, I'm peeking through the curtain Nothing is for certain But I feel it like a purpose Wait, my third eye's open And my chakra's flowing All seven channels in my spirit's floating Knowledge feeling deeper than the ocean It's the eightfold path in the sacred lotus uh, I'm peeking, flipping through Akashic records My ego's decomposing like a leper I'm Edgar Casey going some levitation So with zero hesitation as I jump into the spaceship I'm weary from faking like an earthling While skyfish dip and dive above the earth circling I'm spiraling, sacred geometry Studying my old selves like it's anthropology Honestly, feeling like life's a comedy As big a game as a paper-run economy I've been playing safe, but safest for the weaker heart Wait, I'm peeking, tearing everything apart Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain Cells out of service can't reach me on the circuit uh, I'm peeking through the curtain Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose Wait But I feel it like a purpose Wait, I'm beta testing old theta frequencies I lay to rest the ego and the frequent themes That keep me seeing life inside a box Small minds, kick rocks, Pandora, let's talk uh, I might need a suture for this rift in space I might stay and see how Lucifer's fruit tastes I'm hungry for knowledge and hungry for infinite And every time I'm peeking I can see it for an instant I'm peeking through the curtain at the crowd Sheeps in their seats and the wolves on the prowl Zeitgeist, spirit form, walking through the aisles Consumerism living in their vacant smiles uh, Now I'm peeking through the curtain at the sky I ain't even gotta try, gaining wisdom on the fly I'm touching base with things I can't explain Gods without names on a different plane Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain Cells out of service can't reach me on the circuit But I feel it like a purpose Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain Hardly feeling like a person But the vibes are perfect uh, I'm peeking through the curtain Nothing is for certain But I feel it like a purpose Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain Cells out of service Can't reach me on the circuit uh, I'm peeking through the curtain Nothing is for certain But I feel it like a purpose Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain Hardly feeling like a person, but the vibes are perfect uh, I'm peeking through the curtain Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose Wait, 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 wait.